Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio from lead pastor Brad Evangelista. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Amen. Good morning. How are you? If you have a Bible, open it to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is where we left off last week, specifically verses 26 and 27 is what we're going to handle this morning. Two short verses, but two powerful verses for the Christian life. As you're finding Romans 8, let me mention to you that, well, first of all, let me say happy birthday, Crosspoint, on this week. 13 years ago in 2005, specifically April 17th, we had our first public gathering as a church at the old Mountain Hill Schoolhouse, and um, it has flown by. Praise God, the Lord's been good to us. So uh, happy, happy birthday or anniversary or whatever, or, uh, don't clap. Well, yeah, give praise to God for his kindness to us. That was awkward. Let me pray (laughs) and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, Romans 8 is such a jewel. This chapter is almost too much to take in. It starts with no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because of the finished work of Christ who bore the sin and the wrath that was ours and satisfied it, and removed it, and took it away, propitiated it, and turned that wrath into favor and grace, and made us alive, and gave us the gift of faith whereby we can behold him, and trust in you, and be reconciled to you, and has set us free from the law of sin and death. And this chapter ends with no separation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, there's nothing in this world, there's no principality or power, there's no demon in hell, there's no residue of sin, there is nothing in all of creation that will separate those who are yours from you. You have begun a good work in us and you promise to bring your people safely home. But in the middle of no condemnation and the great promise of glorification and no separation is this life that we must live that is so hard and we are buffeted by suffering on the outside and sin on the inside and we get confused and we are weak and these two verses today are a lifeline a ballast in the storm. May you encourage us. May you may you let this text be water for thirsty Christians, an anchor for a a storm-driven soul. And may you cause it to bring life to any unbelievers in this room this morning by the glory of your gospel, by the grace of your sovereign mercy. Do these things, I plead with you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's just jump right in, and we'll, we'll get some context as we go. 
Romans 8, verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Well, I have two truths that I want us to see in this text. I think this text is actually quite clear and quite simple. There's a couple little things that we need to deal with in there. But I think that what this text is saying is quite clear. And I want us to stare at those truths, and then I, and I want us to respond. I want us to, to apply this truth to our lives. So the, the first truth that I see in this text, and it comes straight from verse 26, and it is this, this truth, that, think about this, it's simple, but it's incredibly powerful. The Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, prays for us. And that us there is believers, those who are trusting in Jesus. The Spirit prays for us. Look again at verse 26. Likewise, and what that likewise is, is he's saying in addition to, so it's connecting to something that comes before, and what's it, what's it connecting to? Well, I don't think it's specifically connecting to the previous paragraph, verses 18 through 25. So just remember, the context of the previous paragraph that we looked at last week was that Paul is answering the question, he's, he's anticipating an objection because of the glorious truths that he's been laying down in Romans 8 about how there is no separation or there's no condemnation for the Christian. There is the spirit of life that has set us free and the, the spirit indwells us and the spirit has promised to bring life to our mortal bodies, which I think is pointing towards the future resurrection of Christians. And then in verses 14 through 17, where Paul says that it's the spirit of adoption that actually lives in us and has adopted us, hasn't just, hasn't just removed condemnation, but has actually made us God's children, by which we cry, Abba, Father. And then in verses 18 through 25 that we looked at last week, Paul, I think, is anticipating the objection well, if the Spirit's ministry is so great in the life of the believer, how do you explain suffering in this world? And Paul is saying, well, wait a minute now. The future glory that awaits those whom the Spirit indwells and will ultimately glorify is not worth comparing to the glorious future of the Christian. So he's just saying, listen, the world is broken. God has purposes in it. Hold on. And now in verse 26... I think he's getting back to an explanation of the Spirit's ministry. So he started off by saying, the Spirit has set us free from the law of sin and death. The Spirit indwells us. The Spirit guides us. The Spirit adopts us. You're going to suffer, verses 18 through 25. And now back to the Spirit's ministry, verse 26. And likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We're weak. We are weak people. In a sense, certainly this is true for, for all people. This is what sin has done to us. Now, some of us may be stronger than others, but, but, 
But even the strongest person in this room, none of us are truly strong. We are weak, friends. This should make us humble people. And, and this weakness that exists in all of us still causes us to be confused, in fact, really ignorant about what we should even pray for. And he says that we, we do not even know, we are weak, and as a result, oftentimes, we do not even know what we should pray for. Now, I think he's speaking in a general sense here. He's not saying that this text is a kind of license to give up trying to find God's will. In fact, the Bible is full of exhortations about things that we should specifically pray for. Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray in, in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Paul's letters in the New Testament are filled with specific exhortations of how we should pray. Paul asks the people that he's writing letters to often to pray specifically for him. We don't have to wonder how to pray for Caleb and Leah or Jeremy and Samantha or the missions endeavors of this church. We know very specifically how to do that. No, this, this text is not a license for spiritual laziness to sort of throw up our hands and say, oh, well, life is hard. It's complicated. We don't really know what we should pray for. What it is is it's an acknowledgment of our limitations and our humility and our weakness. And Paul is saying that as wise as the wisest human is, as, as fit, as spiritually mature as the, the best Christian in the world is, you're still weak. And there are times when suffering so buffets our soul that we don't know what to pray for. And what does the Spirit do? Friends, he intercedes for us. If you're not familiar with that word intercedes, it means that he represents, he goes in between two parties, God the Father and us. And here, take it in, read it slowly. The third person of the Trinity resides in us and is, according to this text, praying for you if you're a believer. So think about God as one. Now this is a mysterious but beautiful and clear doctrine in the Bible. God is three in one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And according to Romans 8, the Spirit of God is awakening our soul, bringing life to a dead heart, and is giving us a new heart whereby we can behold the Son of God who has removed the penalty of sin and the wrath of the Father of God, and now the child of God is indwelled with the Spirit of God who is communicating with the Father and praying for us on our behalf. The, the triune God in one is having communion with itself inside of you if you're a believer. Nah, folks. I know it's raining, but come on now. That's stunning. And what does the Spirit do? It says that He groans. He intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, what, what is this? word groanings mean. I, there's, there's a lot of 
speculation there. Some, some people think that this is a reference to the gift of tongues that is spoken about by Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. I don't think that this is speaking about a sort of prayer language or a gift in tongues because I think clearly in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 30, Paul says that not all Christians have that gift and this text in verse 26 clearly is for all Christians. So, so there, clearly, I don't think that that's what this text is talking about. But also, another, another sense in which I think this would, would say that this is not any sort of spiritual gift of tongues is that I think that the one who's actually doing the groaning is not us, but it's, it's actually the Spirit in us. He's doing the groaning. Now, there's debate about this amongst commentators through the ages, but, but I think the, the weight of this is that it's probably the Spirit, and we see, we see this word groaned used three times even in this chapter. Creation groaned a few verses before in verses 18 through 25. The believer groans awaiting their full redemption, and the Spirit is groaning. So whereas creation is groaning in frustration because of the futility that it's been subjected to, and the believer is groaning, longing for that day when they will finally be set free from sin. The Spirit's groaning as well, but groaning in a different way. The Spirit is not frustrated at all. The Spirit is groaning. He is, he is really showing us God's heart for us. And it's the Spirit's own language of prayer for the believer that's inside of us. So, so let's just, before we move on to the second truth in the second verse, let's just take this in. Think about this for a moment. Let's not fly by it. Let's gaze at this truth. The Spirit of God, if you're a Christian, lives inside of you and is right now praying for you. I think, I think um, cell phones and texting has made us a little, a little careless I think it's a gift, certainly, in many ways, but, you know, like, if you're on, like, a group chat or something, and somebody shares some situation or need, or somebody just texts you individually, and you, you don't really know how to respond, maybe it's some need that they've sent to you, and you just, you just send back praying for you. Well, I'm not here to, like, produce all sorts of spiritual guilt, that's, uh, that's actually the opposite of what I want to do, but don't, I mean, how often do we really actually do that? And we, we do it in sort of the, the present participle there. I'm praying for you as if I'm, like right now, I'm, and I'm going to continue to pray for you. Well, none, very few of us. Do. Let me just give you a little tip on how to not be hypo, how to how to like avoid not telling the truth in that. If somebody texts you a need, just say, I prayed for you right now and stop and do it right then. And, and pray for them. But, but look at the ministry of the Spirit here. He is praying for you. What's that? It's a gerund. It's the ing. My mom's an English teacher. I hope she doesn't listen to this. It's a present. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. It's continually happening. The same Spirit of God that hovered over the face of the earth by which everything was created, the same Spirit of God that took your dead heart and made it alive, that indwells you, is praying for you now. Christian, do you realize that? I, I, I need this verse because I need that to be 
on the top shelf of my awareness more often than it is. Amen? Truth number two. And friends, this is not rocket science. Truth number two is, so the first is the Spirit prays for us. The second truth is that the Spirit's prayers are always effective. I think that's exactly what verse 27 is telling us. Let's look at verse 27. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Okay, so what is verse 27 saying? Let's look again at the beginning. And he, who's he there? I think the context is clear that the he who is doing the searching of our hearts is God the Father. So God the Father who searches our hearts knows what is the mind of the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit. So, okay, the location is your heart, right? And what's going on is God is searching our hearts. God, friends, do you realize that God knows everything? Do you, know, do you realize that? I mean, just think, just take that in for a second. God knows everything that's going on in your life right now. Nothing is hidden from his sight. To some of us, that's a tear, and to others, that's a comfort. Which is it to you? God, who searches our hearts, also knows the mind of the Spirit. And then what does it say about what the mind of the Spirit is and how his, what, what, what is the content of his prayers? Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So do you see what's, what's going on here? Is there's, uh, there's communication between God the Father. He knows what's in our heart. He also knows what's going on in the Spirit, in His mind. And the Spirit is always praying perfectly for the saints according to the will of God. Paul kind of says the reverse in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 11. Let me read that. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 11, starting halfway through verse 10, he says, For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. So that verse is basically saying the same thing, just the other direction. So think of God the Father looking into your heart where the Spirit of God is residing. He knows the heart of the Spirit, and there's, there's agreement there. And then 1 Corinthians 2, Paul is saying, and the Spirit that's in you knows everything about God. There's perfect unity in the Trinity. And the Spirit is praying for us and his prayers are always answered because he's praying in perfect unison with the will of God. That's what this text is saying. So not only is the Spirit always praying for you, but his prayers are always being answered perfectly and completely by God. The thing is, is he may pray different prayers than we pray for ourselves, right? That's the catch. 
So two responses to this. And these two responses are for Christians. The first is this, friends. There is glory going on inside of you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. There's glory inside of you. Friends, this text is saying that the heart of a weak, confused Christian is ground zero for the collaboration of the Father and the Spirit. Your heart is where the will of God, the communion of the Godhead is worked out. And oh, by the way, we're going to get to this in a, in a little bit eventually. Later on in Romans chapter 8, Jesus is interceding for us as well. In fact, let me, let me read it. What shall we say then? Where are my glasses? Man, I should have had them on my forehead. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 31. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, listen to this, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So you've got the Holy Spirit in your heart interceding for you, and you've got the Son of God in heaven interceding for you. Friends, there's glory going on inside of you if you're a Christian. There are magnificent things going on inside of you. On a sleepy Tuesday, there's glory going on inside of you. When you're binging Netflix, glory's going on inside of you. When you're tempted to, to look at something that you shouldn't look at, there's glory, there's a war that will be won going on inside of you. That's what this text is saying. Friends, do you understand the magnitude of the promise of the indwelling spirit and how he helps us when we're weak? I don't think this is very complicated. I just think that we have such mud-splattered windshields that every now and again we have to take a fire hose of the grace of God to wash the mud off the windshield so that we can see. And by the way, I think that's what church is right there. That's just, it's just a car wash for the saints so that we can see clearly. Response number two. First is that there's glory inside of, going on inside of us. And the second is, and I, I, I didn't know how else to phrase this, because I had this picture of a, a boxing match in my mind. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a second, but just, I think this is just as raw as I can make it, is that if the Spirit prays for us, and if the Spirit's prayers are always affected, effective, and if there's glory going on inside of us, again, this applies to only believers, then, response number two, we can come out of the corner swinging. We can come out of the corner swinging. Um, so this is 2018. Almost 30 years ago, 29 years ago, in 1989, I was a freshman, also called a plebe at the United States Military Academy. 
And one of the things that all of the plebes have to do at West Point is to take plebe boxing. Now, I had really never, other than with my brother, and, I, and that weren't, those weren't really much of fights anyway, I had never been like in a fist fight with anybody. I had been in a few scrapes in school, but it was kind of classic schoolyard stuff where you act tough until there's enough people around you to pull you back right when you lunge at the guy. So I had never, like, don't act like, come on. And <laughs> I, so I'd never really been in a, like a fight before. And one of the things that you have to do as a plebe at the military academy is take plebe boxing. They want you to stand in a ring for three rounds with somebody else and, and box. And, it's, and it, 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 was, it, was, it wasn't a whole lot of fun. Uh, my first fight, I fought this short, stocky Italian kid from Brooklyn who was built like a fire hydrant. <laughs> and I mentioned that he was Italian because I, I share some of that ethnicity. And I was, I was kind of hoping that he would maybe go easy on me. I'm like, come on, man. We're, Paisan, here we you know, <laughs> our names end in vowels, help me out a little bit. <laughs> and apparently he had been like, since he was eight, in golden glove boxing in the state of New York. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, that great theologian Mike Tyson said once that um, <laughs> everybody has a plan until they get hit in the face. And this kid pummeled me. And I can remember, it was three rounds, and I can remember at the end of the second round, he knocked me down to a knee, and I was taking a knee, and then the bell rang, and then I had to go back to the corner. And I remember just not wanting to go out for that third round. And that, that's the way life is, right? This text says, and remember, this text is on the heels of verses 18 through 25 that says that we groan, there's suffering, that, that life is hard. And this text is wanting to put steel in our spine so that we can be assured that God will bring us safely home. And the promise is not, lest you hear me wrong, the promise is not that you're going to get up off of that stool in the third round and you're going to knock the devil out. No, because as we'll read, as we read through verses 31 and 39, that, that there are times that, that we die. Sometimes, sometimes the world snuffs our life out, but even that, friends, is not outside of God's good plan for us, and even death has become God's servant and only serves to usher the saint into his presence. And what Paul is saying here is there is an unbreakable chain of the triune God going on in your life. God has planned your salvation. The Son has accomplished your salvation. The Spirit has applied your salvation. And now he's taken up residence in you and he promises to bring you safely home, which leads to the high point of the chapter, which I believe is the next text, verse 28. For those, it says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. So there's nothing that can happen to you. Even if you run back out into that boxing ring and get your head bashed in for another three minutes, that God is not completely in charge of and will help you with for your good and his glory. And if that's the case, friends, then I can come out, 
I can come out swinging. Just put Eye of the Tiger on loop. <laughs> put it on loop and give me some steps to run up and a gray, like 1978 sweatsuit. You know what I'm talking about, Rocky Balboa. Friends, the battle is not just out there. The battle is in here. We fight suffering on the outside and sin on the inside. There is so much going on in every heart that is in this room. There is worry and anxiety and fear. There are there are horrific battles with sin. There are all manner of distress and despair and confusion and weakness. And this text is saying that the Spirit is in you, Christian, and He's praying for you. And His prayers will always be answered. That this is going on inside of you and you can come out swinging. If that's the case, then what can man do to me? Let me read Romans 8, verses 31 through 39 again, and then I'll pray. In fact, I'm just going to read from 26 on to the rest of the chapter. Listen to this. Somebody in this room right now is in the midst of a spiritual battle that threatens to shipwreck your soul. Let these words written by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this is the Word of God, let this be like a ballast for your soul in a storm. Let it be steel in your spine. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose... For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? 
as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So bring it on, Tuesday. Bring it on trial and tribulation. Bring it on, remaining sin. Bring it on, cancer. The Spirit's praying for me, and His prayers are always answered. Let's pray. Father, wipe the mud from our windshield, I pray, so that we can just see this truth. I, I think to behold this truth is to be changed by it. May we behold it. May it fortify your people. And may the dread of living outside of this truth, may the dread of that cause any unbelievers to lift up their eyes and run to Christ who alone can make these things true in their life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.